This talk was recorded by Insight Meditation South Bay in Mountain View, California. The speaker is Shyla Catherine. For more talks and information, visit www.imsb.org. I'd like to begin with a talk called Deep Peace. Because I think we all want peace, both in the world and perhaps more intimately, we might hunger for inner peace. Perhaps you've even come to meditation practice in order to experience more peace in your life. And the simple meditation practices that we do, the techniques that we apply, can indeed bring about a great depth of peace. In the Samyutta Nikaya, there's a passage that reads, Bhikkhus, this concentration by mindfulness of breathing when developed and cultivated is peaceful and sublime. An ambrosial pleasant dwelling and it, and it disperses and quells right on the spot evil unwholesome states whenever they arise. The opposite of peace, of course, is struggle, conflict, stress. We might experience agitation when the mind is influenced by hatred, greed, fear, craving, and delusion. Why is it when we all seem to want peace, want happiness, that we find ourselves too frequently enmeshed in agitation and conflict? Perhaps we are searching for happiness outside of ourselves, through social roles, through wealth, through professions, family, relationships, even the music and the arts. I'm not suggesting that we need to avoid these engagements in order to have peace or happiness, but perhaps it would be wise to not expect our happiness to come from anything particular in those external dimensions of life. Satisfaction cannot be found in the world of conditioned things. It won't be found through our activities, our possessions, or our identities. It is simply the wrong place to look for enduring happiness or peace. In the search for the source of lasting peace, we must turn our attention inward. In the Sutta Nipata, verse 919, it says, The monk must look for peace within himself and not in any other place. This aim for peace has been close to my heart for as long as I can remember. When we have a chance to make a wish, what do we wish for? Some people wish to be happy. That's sukha in Pali. Some people wish for peace. The Pali term is santi. The Pali compound santi sukha combines these two to refer to a state of deep peace. We could call it a peaceful feeling of happiness or the happiness of peace. 
Traditionally, this refers to a quality of realization, a feeling that is associated with the realization of nibbana, with release, with the unconditioned and final liberation of mind. It is the deep contentment that comes with spiritual experiences and it is associated with the liberating events in life. In this talk, I want to reflect on a number of perspectives on Santisukha, on happiness and peace. There are many pragmatic expressions of peace that we can find in the Buddhist tradition. There can even be a progression of types of happiness that might give us clues for how to cultivate peace. The first kind of happiness that I'd like to mention is the happiness that comes from practicing virtue. The Pali term is sila. When we maintain harmless and blameless actions, when we keep our conduct free from the influence of defilements, when our actions are clean, we might experience a simple ease of mind. We might have a more peaceful life. The absence of conflict and the experience of non-remorse are described to be among the benefits and the fruits of virtuous conduct. This creates a profound foundation and support for the development of the meditation practice. Usually at the beginning of retreats, we take a moment to speak about the ethical guidelines that we operate on as a community, where there are five basic training precepts, where we undertake the training to refrain from killing. We undertake the training to refrain from stealing or taking what is not ours. We undertake the training to refrain from false or malicious speech. We undertake the training to refrain from sexual misconduct. And in the context of a retreat, we maintain celibacy and refrain from all sexual activity. And the fifth precept is to undertake the training to refrain from the use of intoxicants, alcohol, recreational drugs, etc. So these are the five training precepts that we undertake not as rules that are handed down from some high up powerful source, but we undertake them as agreements within a community so that we can live in peace together for this week, so that we can protect each other and we can protect our own mind. when we have established our life upon these precepts, when we find we go through the days, we go through the weeks, we go through the months, and don't think to breach these precepts in the slightest, we will find a tremendous peace filling our days. Now the second source of happiness that I want to mention is the happiness that arises when we guard our sense doors. 
We guard the sense doors not by avoiding sensory contact because as long as we have functioning eyes, we'll see. And as long as we have functioning ears, we'll hear. And as long as we have a functioning tongue, we'll taste flavors. This is not a problem. We guard the sense doors by bringing mindfulness to those sensory encounters so that we don't experience the senses in a way that proliferates defilements, that triggers craving and desire and fear and anger and hatred and aversion. When we bring mindfulness to our sensory experience, we can be with the sensory experience just as it is, free from the agitations of desire and aversion. Mindfulness allows us to know what is occurring just now rather than habitually react to it. When we know what's happening, we have the possibility of responding wisely rather than in a conditioned, reactive, habitual way. When we're mindful, we won't be swept up in the seduction that leads to addiction We won't be agitated in a flurry of habitual reactions. We'll instead be with our sensory experience, with the integrity and the inner strength that can prevent agitation from corrupting the mind and corrupting our lives. Things will happen in life, all kinds of things. Some things will be agreeable and pleasant and wonderful and lovely and other things will be disagreeable unpleasant painful disturbing when we have favorable conditions in our lives we have a precious opportunity we have the opportunity to prepare ourselves for less favorable conditions that will surely arise in the course of our lives when we have favorable conditions a relative degree of health, a relative degree of sanity, a relative degree of clarity of mind, of energy, of external conditions that allow us to come to a retreat like this. We have the chance to really work with the mind. In the Anguttara Nikaya, Book of the Fives, Sutta 77 and 78, the Buddha lists a number of commonplace dangers and disagreeable events. And then he thought, quote, Before this unwelcome, disagreeable, displeasing thing happens, let me first make an effort for the attaining of the as yet unattained, the reaching of the as yet unreached, the realization of the as yet unrealized, so that endowed with that Dhamma, I will live in peace even when that disagreeable thing happens. Now, the kinds of disagreeable things he mentioned included scorpions, stumbling, falling, digestion, bile, and phlegm, vicious beasts of lions, tigers, bears, criminal gangs, bandits, and vicious non-human spirits. There might be other disagreeable things that disturb us in our lives. Maybe it's getting stuck in traffic. Maybe it's accidents, slipping, falling, breaking a bone. Maybe it's some serious medical diagnoses, getting diagnosed with cancer or having to undergo painful treatments. Maybe it's a fear of losing our jobs, 
losing our partners, going through a divorce, having a loss of wealth or income. This training of mindfulness encourages a quality of mind that will be undisturbed whether painful or disagreeable things happen in life or whether pleasant and agreeable things happened in life. The mind will remain balanced and aware with whatever happens. It's stable enough then to be with any experience, anything that arises at any sense store. This is the protection of mindfulness as it guards the senses. Now, a third source of happiness or peace is the quiet bliss that is associated with the deep meditation states of concentration and jhana. When the attention is so absorbed with its meditation object that no other phenomena is pulling at us, nothing is even impinging upon uh, on the mind, we can experience a deep, deep contentment an equanimity, a happiness, a peace. It can saturate the mind in any state of samadhi. Peaceful, blissful. We experience happiness permeating the mind and we rest in that concentrated state of bliss, of ease, of peace. These concentrated states called jhanas are particular states that arise through the development of certain kinds of meditation practices. And one of these states is called the fourth jhana. And the fourth jhana and perceptions based on the fourth jhana, like the immaterial perceptions of infinite space, infinite consciousness, nothingness, neither perception nor non-perception, These are called imperturbable perceptions, imperturbable states of mind. Aninja is the Pali term for the imperturbable. They're also called the peaceful abidings. In the Middle Link Discourses, Discourse number 8, we have the immaterial states described as these attainments are called peaceful abidings in the Noble One's Discipline. They're called peaceful because nothing agitates the mind. Nothing impinges upon the senses to cause the slightest degree of agitation. The mind simply rests in that perception of infinite space, infinite consciousness, nothingness. The mind has already abandoned the hindrances, that tendency to react when it entered into the absorption. And when it gets to those very refined states, it's not even agitated by normal sensory encounters. But the final piece in the Buddhist tradition is not related to the deepening of concentration, and it is also not death. I know in the West we might say, rest in peace, and it refers to a kind of death. (laughs) the death of the body and a tombstone rest in peace but the ultimate peace in the Buddhist tradition 
is not related to death. It's the peace of release. We might sense this peace with the ease that we feel when letting go and not grasping. The well-developed mind is not attached to anything in the world. In the Satipatthana Sutta, we find the, the phrase repeated, one abides independent, not clinging to anything in this world. Not seeking anything outside of ourselves for stimulation, not struggling to hold, grasp, or gain experiences, and not agitated by cravings that will only lead to yet more cravings. The simple practice of letting go might ultimately be the most profound of practices. We sit and meditate, letting go of stories, the stories of past, of yesterday, of what we did last year. We let go of grudges. We hold no expectations. We abandon worry, plans, fantasies. We put an end to distracting thoughts and connect with the present experience of sitting, and of breathing. This is an excellent training, but there is more to meditation than sitting and breathing. At some point, we will have calmed all the common distractions and find that we actually are mindful. We are remarkably present. Then what do we do? Perhaps this is where the most interesting meditation begins. This may be when we see our relationship with presently arisen states and know if and how we are creating the causes for suffering in that encounter with the present moment. As one of the more pithy and powerful verses in the, in the Sutta Nipata states, Dry up the remains of your past and have nothing for your future. If you do not cling to the present, then you can go from place to place in peace. In a way, we set our direction towards peace. We aim for peace, and peace is our way, our vehicle. In the Metta Sutta, we find it begins with what should be done by one skilled in good so as to gain the state of peace is this. Let him be able and upright and straight, easy to speak to, gentle and not proud, contented to, supported easily, with few tasks and living very lightly, his faculties serene, prudent and modest. And then it continues on through the whole discourse. I wanted to mention the Metta Sutta because it so clearly describes that the Aim of peace is the reason loving-kindness practice is cultivated. The whole path that the Buddha taught perhaps could be described as the path of peace. We find the term peace appearing throughout the discourses of the Buddha. In the Middle Link Discourses, Sutta number 63, this discourse is revolving around different views and philosophical debates And the Buddha said in response to these different views, he didn't want to take a stand on these views. Instead, he said, 
Quote, Why have I left these undeclared? Because it is unbeneficial. It does not lead to peace. To direct knowledge enlightenment. That is why I have left it undeclared. In the Anguttaranakaya, the book of the Sevens, Sutta number 79, he says, When you know of certain these, these things lead to complete disenchantment, to dispassion, to cessation, and peace, to direct knowledge, enlightenment, Nibbana. Of such things you might be certain, this is the Dhamma, this is the discipline, this is the Master's teaching. Throughout the discourses, we find this list of significant terms that describe the goal to include disenchantment, dispassion, cessation, peace, direct knowledge, enlightenment, nibbana. We'll find another sutta in the Middle Link Discourses, sutta number 72, also dealing with views, using a similar phrase. It says, the speculative view that the world is eternal is a thicket of views, a wilderness of views, a contortion of views, a vacillation of views, a fetter of views. It is beset by suffering, by vexation, by despair, and by fever. And it does not lead to disenchantment, dispassion, cessation, to peace, to direct knowledge, to enlightenment, to Nibbana. This aim for peace is describes the most fundamental aim in this practice. But perhaps most directly, we find a verse in the Middle Link Discourses, Sutta number 102, that says, this is the supreme state of sublime peace that has been discovered by the Tathagata, that is, liberation through not clinging. By understanding as they actually are, the origination, the disappearance, the the gratification, the danger, and the escape in the case of the six bases of contact. Because that is the supreme state of sublime peace discovered by the Tathagata, that is, liberation through non-clinging. Here, there's a direct link between peace and non-attachment between peace and release. Attachments are what agitate and disturb our minds. When we free ourselves from craving and clinging, peace is the result. But don't worry if peace sounds like a difficult or perhaps impossible state. Sometimes when we look at the world, we read the newspapers, we watch the news, The world looks so messed up that the ideal of peace seems just that, an impossible ideal. Sometimes, though, we can look at our own minds and the petty concerns, the trivial thoughts, the nasty little things that arise within our minds and wonder if it is even possible for us to find inner peace within this little world of our own mind, our own bodies, our own senses and perceptions. But I want to encourage you to just let go and not worry, to cherish the potential for the ultimate goal of profound peace and to nurture this aspiration in many little ways as we learn to let go 
as we learn to rest, as we learn to direct our lives toward peace. I trust that if we continue to aim our lives, our practice, and our aspirations in the direction of peace, we will eventually realize it. The peaceful state is the state of the liberated mind. In the middle-length discourses, Sutta 140, it says, For this bhikkhu is the supreme noble peace, namely, the pacification of lust, of hate, and of delusion. Peace is the state of the awakened mind. So let's have a few quiet minutes for reflection. I'll pose just a few questions for the reflection. Please contemplate some moments in your own life that were quite peaceful. Experiences that you had where you felt peaceful and at ease without conflict. Sense the feeling quality in that moment even if it happened a long time ago. I'm not so concerned about the events that occurred. But by remembering a peaceful moment, we are remembering the feeling, the quality, the sense of peace, our own experience of peace. What prevents you from living with this peace all the time? Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.